If I were to ask you to build an IKEA product, do you think you could? I know, Ron, I know you got that. That's, that's like easy stuff for you, right? But for, for most of us, do you think you could? Yes? Yeah? You've done it? All right, yeah, yeah. So this last week, I hopped down to IKEA, and I picked up a few boxes, and I headed home, and I, I got my family man's Lego pack. That's what I think IKEA really is, is like a fun adventure thing to put together. So I, I worked on it late into the night. I got up early to finish it off, and I, I made myself an IKEA set. Now, if I was to like just drop it off at your house, I'm, I'm actually curious, right? Yeah. Now, if I was to drop it off at your house, would you be open to it? Would you, would you be open to me giving you my IKEA pack for you to put together? Maybe, probably not. It's more fun when it's your own, right? All right. What if I like, really begged you to put it together for me, but I also didn't have a picture of what it looked like, and I didn't have any instructions? Would you be game? <laughs> a fun adventure? <laughs> right? We, we have these IKEA things. They, they, they have instructions and directions, and they're far, far simpler to put together when you're following them, I can assure you that, than when you're not following them. And I think many of us, if we were to give it a try to put together an IKEA set without instructions, without pictures, we might get some of it right. Ron, you'd probably get a little bit more right than most of us. But we might get a little bit of it right. We might be able to realize that there's like a drawer involved. We might be like, oh, I know what this thing is. That's clearly the, the I don't even know any of the Swedish words. Or you look at the, the thing, you're like, I'm pretty sure that's like a cabinet. So you might get a bit more of that. But as as you get further into the process, you'll start identifying that the, maybe the pieces aren't going where they're supposed to go. Because even following the instructions, it gets tricky. You might, might realize that like, the shelf had to be one hole higher. I found out a few times, like the drawers were just one off, and then you have to make micro adjustments. And I was with instructions. So putting it together without instructions, just trying to figure out what is before you, where do these pieces go, you're likely to end up with something that might resemble something, but it likely won't end up in the same way that Ikea, the manufacturer, intended, the, the way that they desired for that unit to look. So today we are looking at the idea of instruction and how it helps us build. I am Brad, I am the lead pastor. If you are new to our community online or in person, it's great to have you here. Uh, we would always love to get to know you more, so a connection card if you want to fill it out online or here in-house, we'd love the opportunity to get some information, maybe get together and have a coffee. Uh, just hear your story, see what God is doing, seeing how he is leading us together. So we are in a, a book called Ezra together, and we are looking at actually a transition in, in the book of Ezra from the first wave to the second wave of people who return, that God has stirred, God is moving back into his land, his promised land. The second wave of those that have been called are less focused on the physical building of the temple, and they're more focused on what is God doing as a community and as people in the, in the land as God has called them to live and inhabit and follow him. So we are, we are looking at this book from Ezra. We'll also be going into Nehemiah as they are traditionally been held as one book, which somewhere along the lines we decided to break it up into two because it's telling the same story with uh, different waves through it. So it, some of us would call Ezra and Nehemiah as a single book. And if you look in our Bibles, you'll see it. Ezra, new book, Nehemiah. But this is a story about God calling people to follow him and to live in the land, to, to build after him, to reestablish his ways and his lifestyle as a community. And so we hope from this time together over the summer, as we are looking at the rebuild, that we find some truth and some guidance for us, for you, for you, you as you explore your life, as you explore what God is doing, what God is desiring for you, as you take the next steps. Maybe it's in your, your family. 
Maybe it's in your career. Maybe it is in your community or us as a, a church. Maybe it's whatever God is stirring. There's something for you to build. And so we, we go to the text. We look for truth and for guidance from way back then for, for today. To know that God is working and is with us and leading us, giving us confidence in what we are building and knowing that it is not just our ad hoc designs, our attempt to put something together without instructions, but actually that God wants us to live a life for him, with him, and by him. So we are paying particular attention to plumb lines, which is the vertical axes, the way that you can know that something's straight. I actually ran into the challenge with this where a wall I was building recently, well, I was building off of a wall, I was putting a door in, where the wall wasn't quite straight, but my door is. So now I have challenges in dealing with that is that when things aren't true, everything kind of just looks off. So we're looking for plumb lines, things that help us understand how to interact with God, how to relate to him, and how that impacts our spiritual journey. And we're also looking for guidelines, which are the horizontal plane. How do we go forward? How do we go out? How do we interact with one another as a community? How do you interact in a family? How do you interact with neighbors? How do we interact with those around us in our culture and society? And we believe that God has a deep interest in both of those being true and being directed. So that is what we hope to see as we are in Ezra today. We are looking, once again, at that shifting point between the first wave of followers that came back and the second wave. We are going to be in uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 1. And in this text is where we are introduced to the namesake of the, of the book. Anybody want to guess who he is? Yeah, yeah, Ezra, there. Yeah, yeah, it's not a trick question. <laughs> it's Ezra. We've gone through seven chapters, and it's got, like, Ezra written at the top over and over and over again, but we haven't heard of this guy. So here, here he is. He's showing up, and I will uh, read from Ezra 1. It starts off with a, a genealogy, which I'll save us some time, but I'll tell you how that genealogy ends. The son of Aaron, a chief priest. So he's connected. They, they want to make sure that we as a reader, we as a community understand that Ezra, through all the names that you can see if you open up your Bible or open up the app, you see all these lists of names. And it's, the, it's the connection of Ezra who is now introduced and make sure it's connected to Aaron, the chief priest. And Aaron was back there with Moses. You may have heard the story of Moses leading the people out, that that was where God instituted a priest. And so we want to make sure that we catch that, that they're trying to make sure that we don't miss that. Ezra is connected to the chief priest. So here goes, verse 6. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher, well-versed in the laws of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord of God was on him. Some of the Israelites, uh, including the priests, the Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up from Jerusalem for the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. This is actually one of the things I'm hoping that we're in second wave too, where we start seeing musicians and gatekeepers showing up. Um, as God is leading and moving, if, if you have <laughs> musical skills, we'd love to continue to com the conversation about what do we do in this time and space to honor and glorify God. But that's a side note, but it is encouraging to me to know that gatekeepers and musicians do show up in wave two. Carrying on, Ezra arrives in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun the journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law and to teaching it and its decrees to the laws of Israel. Now, if you have been around for a little while, you would know a couple weeks ago we had John, the 
retired past from here actually covering the text 7, uh, Ezra 7.10. And I'd actually encourage you to jump on Spotify, not right now, well, you can if you really want, but jump on it sometime and actually hear his words because I think it's such a good blessing to dive into, that was a life verse for him and how that impacted him. Uh, so we're taking it in the context of where we're going, but it would be an encouraging thing for you to jump on. It's on our website. So that's, that's just another side note for you. But as we look at this passage, we, we come to understand that, yes, Ezra is connected to Aaron. What's, what's valuable and important, and why I wanted to make sure that we didn't, in jumping over the genealogy, miss their deliberate intent to make that connection for us. As you come to understand the story of Israel, it was chaotic, it was challenging, it was messy that these people were in God's land and they weren't doing great in the land. It's not because they were so great that they got kicked out of the land. It's actually they were following very poorly. They, they didn't quite take their, their following of God serious enough to, to remain, to change their lifestyles, to engage with what the kingdom of God looked like there. So they were sent into exile, which is in another land where they're under other kings and other gods and other people. And while they're in this exile, the chaos, the, the unregular rhythms, there's no landmarkers, there's no stories around to remind them of what God has done, somehow the priestly line is still intact, even after exile. And at this point, we know that they have spent at least 70 years in exile, and wave one has returned. The first group has come back after 70 years in exile to establish a foundation and the altar. They got some, some rhythms going back in the land. But roughly 70 years, it's more 60 years actually, it would be after the first wave of returned, is where we come into Ezra showing up. This is a substantial amount of time, 120 years from when they were last in their land, that they somehow, through all that chaos, can still trace the genealogy of the priests. That they, they understood that God was doing something special in their community from way, way, way back with Moses and Aaron. That they didn't just stop following it. They held on to the fact that someone in their community is still connected as a priest. So Ezra is like the great, 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 maybe double great grandson of Aaron. And that allows us to understand that he was part of the connection of the old thing that God was doing. But he's not just brought in as, you know, a relative, because... I'm sure we've all worked with somebody that's like the, the brother of a boss or like the, the nephew is brought in and you're like, yeah, like it's great to have some hands here, but that's about all that they bring. But we see it in the text is that Ezra was actually well-versed in the laws of Moses. Right? He is a skilled man of God. He is part of the priestly line, which is the genealogy, but he is also a, a teacher and a scribe. He is one that is well-versed, one that is connected, one that understands the ways of God, the laws of Moses. So Ezra comes in as a gifted guy, a blessing to the community. And we see this in Ezra, or yeah, Ezra verse 6. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the laws of Moses. Now, we as a church, we kind of land in a NIV translation, but it's, it's valuable every now and then to, to branch out into some of the other translations. Uh, if you really want to get into like language studies, you can get into language as well. But getting a bigger picture of what is being said here is actually valuable, again, to understand, is that our NIV actually does a, a poor job in translating the qualifications of Ezra. The NIV says that he was a teacher. In the, the Hebrew language and in other translations you'll come across, it will actually write him down as a scribe. Ezra was in the word of God deeply, and he was in it 
and going over it over and over and over again in the scrolls that contain God's word. What's also interesting to understand from a, uh, a scholarly historical context is that the exile was likely the point where most of the Old Testament was actually written down. That pre-exile, they were a oral community. They had markers. They had, you might remember stories of stones being stacked to remember them. Oh, Dad, tell me about the story about when you guys crossed the Jordan. Oh, yeah, the, the rocks here. Well, we had the story. They would look around the land and they'd remember a battle that happened, that God showed up. They'd, they'd remember that they used to have to worship in different ways, but now they have a temple. They had all these stories in a geographical location. But that was taken from them. And they were put into a different land where it had none of their rocks, none of their temple, none of their, their reminders. And as the years went on, the elders were dying off. And so scholars would say that the majority of the Old Testament, while holding to an oral tradition being passed on from generation to generation to generation, they realized in exile that they had to write stuff down. That the old was going to pass away and they'd be adrift. They wouldn't have the instructions, the words that God gave them. They might have the stone tablet remnants with them, but they, they don't have much more if they don't write stuff down because they don't have the community context that they grew up in, that saw God moving them in. So Ezra here likely was part of that community, scribing, writing down what God has said, what God has done, going over them time and time again, trying to understand what, what the history was. Because this is 120 years after they left the land into captivity, Ezra's doing this. So he was not around for the time of Moses. He wasn't around for the time of all the great kings, of all the land. But here he is, he's studying, he's writing, he's engaged with it. And what I really like, if you actually care what I like about this, is that Ezra was also not just an academic. Like, he wasn't just a brain power guy. When he was engaging in the text, he was shaping and forming his life around it. He allowed this, this instruction not just to be like, oh, I need to chronicle this. I need to make sure we have records of this so we can put it up on a shelf. But as he was going, he was forming his life around what he understood God to be like, what God has done, and what God wants for the community. So I really love that he has patterns and reality-based experiences, not just, yeah, he knew the things. He was a smart man. So here we go, verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the laws of the Lord, and to teaching it, its decrees and the laws to Israel. So he first and foremost was a guy that was deeply in the word. He was a guy that would spend time trying to understand what God's mission, movement, and lifestyle was like. And it does say he taught others, but he allowed it to first form himself. I think that's a, a valuable thing for us as, as followers of Jesus, us, us on a journey of following Jesus, is to not just look at a text, and me as a preacher, right? Not just look at a text and just say, oh, this is what you need for your life. But to deeply look at a text and say, God, what, what is it that you were doing? What does that mean how does that apply to my life, first and foremost? And as we live that out, we also get the opportunity to say, hey, like, I notice this is not in line with God's word in your life. I've been finding this really, really hard, but life-giving. I found this actually really, really encouraging, and I hate every moment of it. Because as God's word guides us, we know that he is building something that we may not understand. So we see that Ezra was sharing this with the other people. He was giving out guidelines. He was giving out direction to others, both in Israel, the dis disconnected body from the land, but 
But then when he is brought back, which we'll see in a few moments, he was brought back to share what he has learned, what he has explored, the words of God in the community. And so that's, that's for us as well. As we continue to follow Jesus, we want to understand that it's not just about head knowledge, that it's not just about knowing of God. Because everybody can know of God. But there's something more. It's not just enough to have a place of worship. And we'll see this in the continued story of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's not just that you come to church on Sunday or that you have a devotional period or that you have a prayer room. You can even have a prayer room built in your house. Having these spaces isn't what it's all about. Right? Jerusalem had the temple at this point. Ezra had the words of God and he was following that as God stirred in him and we'll see also in the letter in a community and in a king, to do something, to see that word lived out in the land again, to see it forming lives and transforming a community. So what we see is that they are, there's, God is stirring his people yet again, that we saw in the beginning of Ezra, that God stirred a king's heart in a community group to go back to the land. They started building a temple and that stalled out. God stirred again. And now we see 60 years, roughly, after the first stirring, another stirring is happening. As we take God's word seriously, as Ezra did, God will be giving us guidance and instructions on what that means for our day, for our lives. And it's not always going to be easy. And I'm sure after living in Babylon for that long, just rooting it up and heading back to Jerusalem... For Ezra, it would have been hard. It was hard for the first group. They had, as I've told you before, gardens, they had neighbors, they had all kinds of great things. But God was stirring. So as we look at what goes on, we also want to understand that our history in the land doesn't define our forward action. The, The people had the land before. They lived in it. They had memories and rocks and temples before. But they still didn't live out the way of God. They still didn't live out the way of the king. They, they knew of God. They had a big temple right there, and they could hear the, the sacrificial system going on. They knew that God was up to something in their neighborhood. Knowing of God and knowing God is very different. Our God, the one that we claim to know or are getting to know or are journeying towards, wants to be known, wants to share his love with us, wants to express that connection and relationship, not just on a, on a head level, but on a heart level. Following God just by his rules, as we'll go through this complicated connection here, just following the rules isn't enough. Just taking the words that are scribed down somewhere and just doing them isn't the key. It isn't the plan. It isn't the instruction God has for us. Because application without affection isn't going to grow the fruit of God. If you don't actually know that you're loved by God, or know that He wants to be a part of your life. You can do all kinds of things that are within the scriptures and still miss the point. The point is to be in a relationship with God and from that relationship, that that affection for God, you'll see the application of scripture time and time again, continually directing you in his path. You'll see things growing in your life like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things grow out of the relationship, out of the affection for who God is and what he's doing in your life, in history, in our community, in the lives around our community. And that 
reference to the lines there was Galatians 5.22, the, the things that the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. Being in an affectionate relationship with God is a lot of the work is actually done there. You can try to apply all the rules and all the regulations you want, but if you are not deeply interested in who God is and what he has for you in love and faith and relationship, you're going to be building something that doesn't quite go together while you're even following the instructions. It doesn't quite go together. The drawer might be off just by a little bit. But trust me, from my own experience with Ikea, if the drawer is off by a little bit, it doesn't look right. One little spot, it just doesn't fit. Everything else doesn't come together. And so that is one of the, the guidelines and also one of our plumb lines, is if affection for God is not part of your relationship with him, I'd even encourage you to say, don't sweat all the rules right now. Find yourself driving into a relationship with God. The guidelines, the instructions, all those sort of things help you. Trust me, they help a lot. But if you're just trying to do these things to win favor, you're going to be missing the mark. You're going to be one notch off, maybe two notches off, depends on how you apply it, right? God wants to be in a deep, passionate relationship with you. In that form, in that shape, the way that you live out. Right, we want to fall in love with God. That's why we gather, really. There's so much of God that I don't understand. There's so much I'm, I'm confident you guys don't understand. Our time together as a community is about orienting to who this God is, understanding what he wants for creation, what he wants for you, what he wants for us, and allowing that to shape us, to guide us in a deeper love with him. Here's why we want to love God, or a way that we can love God even. It's because he loves us first. Right? If you read through scripture, if you understand the story of Jesus, if you understand the story of all creation, we were dead in our sins. We couldn't do good. Like, you look around like, yeah, that looks pretty good. But like, in a cosmic, godly thing, our best effort is rubbish. But God loves us so much that he didn't leave us there. That scripture says while we were still enemies, while we were still like actually against him, actively pushing him away, actively trying to destroy his good creation, he set out on a mission for you and for me that we can be truly known by him. Right? God knew that there is such a big barrier between our lives, a debt that we couldn't even pay. We couldn't even, even like chip away at the interest on the debt that we owe. And I, I think many of us know that experience with credit cards. Like, just chipping away at some of the interest. You don't get anywhere. You're just throwing things into a hole. But God wants to guide us, not because he wants us to work for him, but because he wants to be in a relationship with us that brings life. And the ways that we went about life, the ways that we tried putting together the Ikea cabinet, wasn't getting us there. It was what was adding to our debt. He came and he wants to show us what true life looks like. We don't even have a picture for what true life looks like. We only were going by what we thought was in the box. So the first starting point we know from the past few weeks was we start with God first. But the point is not just knowing of him. We start with falling deeper and deeper in love with him. We want to see that he orients our lives, that he stirs deeper in us, that he wants to lead us back to his way, his lifestyle, what he desired for all of creation. He wants to provide for us as well. It's not just our efforts, our ability to master the, the life and make it good for him. He actually is a provider for us. And we see this time and time and time again throughout the scriptures. 
We see that when God first called the people from Egypt. They took gold and silver with them. When God stirred to bring them back to the land, there was supplies sent. When everything slowed down and stalled, the restart, God sent more supplies. And today, if you read the passage, we're not going to read the entire section, but once again, in the letter sent from King Artaxerxes, guess what's there? More supplies. God doesn't rely on our ability to pull things together. God doesn't wait for us to muster up enough resources to fix what is broken. God wants us to be in relationship with him and allow him to provide for what he is doing in our lives, in our communities, in our families, in our careers. It's not up to you. It's actually up to our ability to listen, to fall in love, and know that God loves us deeply, profoundly, eternally. So this, this guy Ezra shows up to this community who has a temple, they have sacrifice, and God is bringing him there to bring some instructions. He's kind of like a new Moses, if you will. Uh, if you know Moses, Moses was the guy that was given the tablets up on the mountain of the 10 things not to do. He was given a direction of how to bring people that didn't understand how to follow God, how to live God, to start orienting them to the ways of God, what God is for, what are the things that's going to upset him. So Moses come, or, uh, Ezra comes as a new Moses, where he's bringing the word of God to help the people understand and see the merit and the value, and even the challenges of what that text, what the history of God's people means for them in their lives. In order that the people, not just put it together and pull up the bootstraps, but in order that the people can truly know that God is with them, that God loves them, that God is for them. So what's interesting is that Ezra was sent by King Artaxerxes. This is uh, chapter 7, verse 12. And the entire letter goes on with uh, why it's going on, what, what the parameters, what are the supplies going to be. There's a large letter that was the historical letter sent to Ezra to send him. Uh, I'd encourage you to read that as it's also encouraging. But as we look at this idea that God is using kings yet again, the book of Ezra started with a king that was not a Jewish king, stirring up God's things. And here we have Ezra being sent by yet again another king who was not God's kings, sending him back to guide God's people on his path and his route. Because that king saw merit and value for, for Israel to be following their God. He's like, hey, you know what? If you guys are doing the good things there, we're for it. So he sends Ezra back. So God continues to use things outside of our community to resource his mission and his plan. So the letter sends supplies, is what I was saying. God, time and time again, is supplying for what he wants to do. It doesn't come up to your strength, your ability, your attitude, your, your greatness. God's plan is contingent on him. So what we understand here is that this is actually part of a bigger story. Every time you look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see God providing He's actually building up once again to the bigger provision that he has made. That we cannot cover our own costs. That we're living well past our expenditures. They're, they're just, we just can't put together a good month, a good quarter, a good lifestyle that will balance out the scales of all the wrongs that we've done. But we see that once again, the goal isn't just to have a 
cost-benefit analysis for God's people to finally break even, that he's paid off their debts as a community, or that they're allowing for sacrifices to happen in the temple. That, you know, they're, they're tight. It's a tight year. It's not about the budgets. It's about who God is. God is a God that provides. And so for us today, we, we want to make sure that we orient around not that God gave them a bunch of calves and cattle and a bunch of silver 2,500 years ago, whatever this date was, but for us in our journey, as we want to orient around our guidelines and our experience of God as well as what he has done then, is knowing that Jesus came to pay the debt for you. That we could not even have touched the cost that divided us from God. That we have wronged God in ways that we don't even know. Like, Israel, they didn't have the text at the time, so they were doing as best as they could. They were putting together the cabinet as best as they could. But they're still racking up the debt. You and me, as, as we go about our lives, we may not have understood all the Old Testament laws, and we're racking up the debt, right? There's something going on in our lives that isn't quite in line with what God desires for us. The good news is that debt is paid too. That it wasn't just the moment when you heard about Jesus that your debts were paid. It's actually the, your, your plan to continue in racking up the debt is also paid. And even the intent of doing wrong that you don't do was also paid. That no matter what we do and don't do, as we follow Jesus, his love, his grace, and his mercy is more than enough. Now you might think, like many would say, and Paul gets to in his writing, is that, well, why not just keep going on sinning? Right? If it's all covered, why not just rack up that tab and maybe even bring more glory to God because look how terrible of a sinner I was, right? My life was formed around all these things. And I could just run up the tab and then we can talk about how good Jesus is. Paul says, meganoita, that's Greek for like cussing, uh, may not be so. Right? The, the issue, once again, with that idea is if all you want to do is rack up your sins and rack up your own ways and build the things whatever way you want, you're missing the heart. Right? If, if you love somebody and then you go and like slap them in the face, you, you, you torch their couch, you, you drive a car through their wall, like you just start destroying things. That's not the lifestyle of one that you love. When you love somebody, you say, wow, like I, I didn't even know how off I was. And as many of you know me so far, I know that I've had at least a few moments of that with Katie, right? I was off the mark a few times. I, I wasn't quite hitting, right? We've all been in a spot where we're in a relationship where we aren't bringing our best, even when we were trying. But we know that God loves us because we were still his enemy. He wasn't waiting until we came with coins and change before him. We were on a path for ultimate destruction, and he interrupted that. As we look at who God is, we orient to him because of affection, not because of instruction. The instructions are just so darn helpful in identifying that we are building something completely different than what we thought we were building. That we are trying to put together a way of life that isn't just what culture around us tells us to be. And this is actually important to know as we continue on in the Ezra and Nehemiah story, is that it actually kind of gets complicated specifically in our culture, looking at what comes next in the books. Now I got you interested, read them. Is that it's not just about the rules and instructions. It's about who God is and the affection for him and that his ways are not our ways. His plans are not our plans. And he is not changing his plans to match ours. He is helping us lovingly and graciously change up our plans to what he is doing. 
And you'll find, I find, many a time where we continue on our path and our story and our desire to see something built our way. Know that God's grace is still good enough for you. He's still calling, he's still instructing, he's still directing, but nothing is greater than that. That God will continue to pursue you, continue to try to help you through all the hardships, all the things that come up, both in when we follow him, because following God doesn't mean it's all paved and flat. But also when we don't follow him, it's also not paved and flat. We will come across challenges in our lives no matter which way we go. But one of those directions leads us into deeper love and deeper relationship with the God that loves us. And one of them leads us away. So as we continue to look for guidelines from Scripture, this is the biggest one. Is know that God loves you. Know that he is for you. Know that any instruction you are given from the word or from prayer or from time in our community that is meant to orient you to a deeper love of God and to continue to build out what he desires in his kingdom, in, in creation, what he has for you, whether it's in your family, your career, whether it's in your life goals and aspirations, or maybe just even for that moment. That everything that you come across in life is an opportunity to orient towards God just a little bit more. Maybe it's as you come to understand the instructions, as you look at the things that start leaning a different path than you're on, the key in that is not just to apply it, I'd encourage you to apply it, but to search at the heart of God, what God wants to do in your life in that moment, and maybe even why he has that there for you. So we see that this, this king has sent Ezra, and we're going to jump into this, is that Ezra saw this as a moment that God is king. In uh, verse 27, praise to the Lord God, the God of our ancestors, who has put in the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors, that all the king's powerful officials, because the hand of the Lord my God was on me. I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go with me. So while it was an earthly king that sent Ezra back, Ezra doesn't mistake that God was at play. That the true God, the true king, the king of kings, which is also what's used by the king Artaxerxes, calling himself king of kings, the king of kings was at play, and the king of, that uh, was Artaxerxes, was also part of the, the work God was doing. The second wave heads back. Ezra didn't miss that it was God calling him, not just King Artaxerxes. And I think this is also an important thing for us to take out as a guideline in our lives, is to identify the moments where you know God has guided you before. To identify the moments where you know that God is with you. The times that you know that you know that you know that God was present. That God is at hand. That his hand rests upon you. For me, one of my stories, one of my many moments, was actually three years ago. And it's actually why I'm here. For those of you that don't know the story, uh, brief story is I used to work in youth corrections. I worked at kids in jail. So I know all about instructions. There you go. Uh, I worked in, with kids in jail. And one of the things I felt God was saying is stop looking to get into ministry. Well, that's a terrible plan to get into ministry, God. Stop looking. So I felt God say for the first year of my marriage with Katie is to focus on the foundation, to spend time with her, to continue making a good wage and investing in lives, because that's part of what I love is partnering with God in, in investing in lives. And then I felt like God was saying, now it's time to look. All right. If you know anything about searching for jobs, before I was married and rooted, I could have gone anywhere. And I hadn't found a job yet. 
Now, after being married, I can go locally. I got the region. So things got harder, right? There's only so many options in the region. I have looked, and I know that there's only a couple churches that are going to be hiring every year. So then I, I look, and I trust that God is going to do it, and I come across a posting to a church. Guess what church? This is like the Ezra story. Guess what church? Yeah, yeah, here, yeah. Stanley Park Community Church. And what I noticed about this was that the write-up here was very different than the hundreds that I'd read before. And I read that, I was like, oh, this is a weird community, right? Go, guys. Yeah. I came, so, <laughs> yeah. I read it, and I was like, there's something different here. And I read it over, I'm like, I think this is me. I, I handed it to Katie, and I'm like, Katie, I think this is me. She agreed. So then I, I entered into the, the process, believing that maybe God is calling me here. That the uniqueness of this community was part of my story in waiting, knowing that a lot of churches' application processes are super boring, and they just have like taglines in there, but here there's something unique here, and I get to be a part of it. So I got to come here and eventually go through the interview process and be the pastor. And for me, that's terribly encouraging, is knowing that I didn't just go out and apply and apply and, and keep grinding and keep grinding and keep grinding until I find somebody that would finally take me. But I actually stopped. The process got harder, smaller, more narrow, and then I saw something very much uniquely for me. So thank you guys one, three years ago for letting me come here and for putting up with me for three years. But in that, as we find these moments, these stories that are encouraging to ourselves, the value is write them down. Remember them. Find rocks to put in your garden to remember the moments that God was with you. Share them with me. I'd love to hear your encouraging God moment stories of how he's guiding and leading you through hard things and easy things and beautiful things and complicated things. But past me, share it with one another. Pass the story on. Allow others who may not be in a season of hearing God moving, who may not have ever heard God moving, allow them to hear some of your stories. Allow them to understand that God is not just bound in text and stuck there 2,000 years ago. That he is active and moving in, in your day, in your age, in your life, in your place, in your, your family. These stories are so important because we also go through the, the wilderness we also go through the, the Babylonian captivities. We also go through the stallouts and the seasons where we're like, is God still doing anything? And so while God may not be in my story right now in a way that I discern it, he may be in yours. And that's the beauty of community, is that every one of us can hear God. Every one of us is on a trajectory towards him. And as we share our stories with one another, we have the opportunity to encourage, to inspire to even just help people weather. And so I want to particularly also point out to those that may be in the category where it's stalled out still, like things just aren't going together the way that you thought. You just haven't heard from God in quite a while, that you don't know that you know that you know that God is active right now. Remember the past. Find the moments that you anchored your faith to before. Do not toss that overboard. Root yourself in the moments that you knew, that you knew, that you knew. And maybe even at the point where, like, I kind of think I just maybe knew. Hold on to that. Bring it alongside people that you trust to, to breathe air onto. Allow that to grow. It doesn't mean it's going to change anything. But having something to hold on to, that's not just rules that you try to follow, but also the moments, but actually the moments where you've seen the love of God applied to your life. Hold on to that. That is something that you do not want to let go of. 
right? Ezra came and waved to 60 years after the first group. I guarantee you one person in that community at least was questioning, like, is, is this actually going like, to become anything more than just like a temple with noises of sacrifices going on? Like, is, this, is this what all that God has for us? So hold on to the things that you know where God's love, his grace, his mercy, and reconciliation has moved in your life. Hold on. The other part is God doesn't always move in burning bushes. Right, that'd be great. Well, actually, it'd be terrible. We'd have to spend a lot more on fire departments. But if, if God always moved in burning bushes, we'd know that we know that we know because everybody would see it. But here, we see Ezra knew that God was moving because a king from another land was telling him to go. And he could discern that that was the king of kings, truly the king of kings, sending him, a teacher, a scribe, a lover of God, back to the people to bring instruction. So I encourage you to partner with the past. Find ways that you can engage with what God has done, engage in your moments, your stories, identify where he last guided you, and maybe orient there. Find, find the, the spot that you saw him last at hand, and, and, and try to spend time loving him for what he did there. Because it's not just about a path. Right? We've talked many times, it's not about just a project, it's not about doing things. The whole goal is Jesus. Being in a relationship, knowing his love for you, his love for creation, and his heart to see his kingdom come in your life. So continue to seek. Continue to reach after this love, not just the destination. We have the opportunity to press into God's word. That's always a great way to partner in the past. Is that Ezra got to be a part of writing it down. We get to read it today because it was written down. Press into that. Find those moments of relationship. Find verses that stand out to you. And just be present to who God is and what he has done. And then press through with God. Continue to seek him. Continue to ask him to show his love to you, his kindness. As once again, all the instructions are meant to orient us to him, to bring us in his direction, in his way. That he doesn't just drop off a box at your door with no instructions and no picture just because he wants you to do something. His desire is that you know that as we are putting things together, he loves you, that he's working with you, that he is alongside you. He has instructions, he has a picture of what he's doing, but it's not about the product, it's about the process of us continually following in love with God for who he is, for his love for us, and what that means to us today, in these moments, in this week, and later today, when you get an email, a text, or when you get into your plans of whatever you have before you, know that every single one of God's plans leads us to him. And so we have an opportunity every single moment to orient closer and closer and closer to the God that loves you, that paid it all for you, that doesn't hold it over your head, doesn't beat you over the, with the book and the rules. His heart is for you. And so I'm going to pray that over this next week, we have opportunities that are just so clear that we know that we get to take a step towards that loving God who loves you. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this week. We pray that you use kings, that you use magistrates, that you use uh, whatever is before us, even if an Ikea set, 
to allow us to see your love for us, to understand your instructions and your directions aren't because you just want something out of us, but that you want us, that you do not count all our sins and keep a tally on that because you want us to work it out by the end of our lives. That you just love us and that you've paid it all, whatever we have done, whatever you're going to do and whatever we even think about doing. Help us see who you are, a good, righteous, loving, instructing God. And Lord, we ask that this week, as we go about our regular rhythms, that you interrupt them. Lord, we ask that as we go about our regular plans, that you continue to guide us on your path. Lord, we ask for your wisdom, we ask for your spirit, we ask for you to dwell and abide in each one of us. For us as a community, us as community groups, and us as just followers of you. We invite you into this week, and Lord, help us remember to tell each other the stories of how you show up time and time again to allow us to know that we are loved and cared for, period. Amen, Lord. Thank you, everybody. This is this week. We won't be back in person next week. Uh, we are encouraging you to go out, love neighbors, share Jesus in any way possible, whether that's painting a fence or dropping off a treat for a dog. I'm making this stuff up. Whatever God puts on your heart, in whatever way, whether it's with a coworker or a neighbor, with a, a long-lost friend, an enemy even, because God brings those to our tables too, find a way to meet God in the way that we reach out. Because his love doesn't stop with us. His love flows through us to those around us, those closest to us, and those that live next door. May God bless you this week with his presence, and may you know that you are loved beyond belief. Thank you.